welcome to the EPAR Trade Live Tech Webinar Using Racing as the Ultimate Laboratory. It's all about uh, oil and lubricants for racing applications. Uh, we have with us Joey Cabrera, Technical Director of Motul USA, Alec Wolf, Technical Manager of Motul, and David Aronson, Commercial Director and Co-Founder of the Dragon Speed Race Team, active in IMSA, IndyCar, and Le Mans competition. I'm your host, John Kilroy. I'm Chief of Content and Audience Development for EPAR Trade. And uh, we're, we're having fun with these webinars. We're really happy to provide the service to the racing industry at no charge, these tech webinars and webinars on business education. As you know, at EPAR Trade, we basically digitize the entire racing industry around the world and put it online for you. Uh, 25,000 racing organizations at your fingertips. And uh, the concept is just to make it much easier, faster, much more productive to source race technology and suppliers. We're not an e-commerce site, uh, but you can go and find something that you're very interested in. And within the platform, you can punch a button and be in direct contact with the supplier. Um, in addition to the smart sourcing software, we have technical videos, technical papers, the latest new products. As soon as a, a pro account supplier adds a new product to their showcase, it goes right to the homepage of ePartrade. So <clears throat> ePartrade is a good place to go if you have your morning cup of coffee and just kind of scan what's new and we'll, we'll keep you current. Another service we're excited to bring to the racing industry this year is Online Race Industry Week. So it'll be November 30th through December 4th, Monday through Friday. <clears throat> and it's a terrible year for the industry trade shows. So SEMA and the PRI show have been canceled. Uh, but the industry needs that moment in time where it gathers together after the race, one racing season is over and before the next to try to reevaluate uh, re 2021 product line introductions. So we're, we're going to put together for the racing industry. The theme is all together now. We'll have eight hours of webinars just like this, Monday through Friday. <clears throat> and then if you go to epartrade.com, you'll just find all the 2021 new product line introductions for racing. Uh, so you'll be able to solve technical issues and gain business insights to increase revenue and profits with the webinars. And then go find out what's new for next year at epartrade. We're working with racer.com and racer magazine to develop some of these webinar presentations. And uh, they have a list right now that's spectacular, so we just have to lock it all in. Uh, we, we locked in Brian Hurd of the other day for uh, a webinar on how to develop a successful race uh, team. So that'd be cool. And when I talked to Paul Fanner, racer, he says his goal for Online Race Industry Week is basically to reboot the racing industry for 2021. Uh, some quick housekeeping notes. So all webinar attendees will be on mute the entire time and we'll have you off video. And then we want to answer your questions. So at the bottom of the Zoom screen, if you take your cursor down there, <clears throat> there's a chat option. And you can type in there your questions. And you can be very technical with these guys. They can answer any questions about uh, oils and lubricants for race applications. And uh, we have a very sophisticated audience with professional race engine builders, professional race teams in the audience. So just type in your questions, and we'll get them, and we'll throw them to the, the speakers here. Um, if you're having trouble with Zoom, unfortunately, we can't help you right now. We just kind of can direct you to www.zoomus, and, uh, you know, good luck. And then uh, this is all going to be recorded, and then for everybody who's registered, we'll send you a password, and you'll be able to watch it again if you want, or just share it with uh, other people in the shop.
So uh, again, Joey Cabrera, Technical Director of Motul, over 40 years of automotive experience with expert level knowledge, both in suspension as well as lubricants. More than 10 years now in Motul. He's also managed a professional race team, so he, he knows what you're all going through. Alec Wolf, Technical Manager of Motul. He owned a, a performance shop in Europe for over 20 years, focusing on German and exotic cars. And he's worked as a technician for race teams in the Rolex Sports Car Series, America Le Mans and the WeatherTech Sports Car Championships. So again, Alec, he knows what you're going through. And then uh, David Aronson of Dragon Speed, this is a 35-year veteran of motorsports marketing in Formula One and the U.S., providing strategic management and graphics expertise to both sponsors and teams. Commercial and director, co-founder of uh, Dragon Speed. And uh, we're just lucky to have these guys with us. And I, I want to kind of move on with just a very basic question about Motul. So I just, when I, we have these webinars, I don't know if everybody knows everything about the company. And Motul is a brand name in racing that's the real thing. So I, I kind of want to say that sometimes there's oil companies that, that sponsor a race car. And I've heard this as a story. And, and <laughs> the, the, the crew chief will pour the bottle of oil into the engine with the <laughs> logo on it. And, and it's not the sponsor's oil in the in the bottle usually not yeah. yeah so motul when they're pouring more tool in the engine it's a motul engine oil it's a motul lubricant and uh joey i'll just start with you could you just kind of describe motul and its connection with racing i mean it's pretty spectacular yeah i mean the company's uh been in business for over 165 years you know of course they started in the industry of lubricants you know and uh, it was an american company it was based here in the united states this is where it started all then it was purchased and owned from the, the family that owns it today, the Zog family. And of course, uh, you know, they were in all types of different types of lubricant business. But one thing that we, just, when we started racing, we started developing lubricants that were very high-end lubricants for racing. And of course, the research and development that came along with it always improved us to make a better product and always stay in the forefront of the competition. So in a nutshell, yeah, Mutu's been around for a very long time. And yeah, it just doesn't, it doesn't just start in motorsports, but it got, to that point to where now we made our name ourselves globally not just in motorsports but also in power sports because i've had that question many times i see you in moto gp i see you in the endurance racing all over the world now so yeah the name is uh is made it out there into the racing world and it, it's, it's it's a common name now in, in in the racing world oh it sure is and, and truly international too Absolutely. and, and uh, uh how was your connection the Dragon Speed, how did that first come about? I'll start with you, Joey, and then we'll throw it over to David. There. Well, I think Dragon Speed, uh, I think Dave knows a little bit more of how that started because I don't take care of the sponsorships anymore. I used to do that way back, uh, but uh, I do more of the technical side. But maybe, David, you can kind of let us know because you were explaining that to us the other day, kind of how it started. Well, we, two of our three programs uh, are running um, LMP2 prototypes in endurance sports car racing. And in that class, there's a choice of chassis, but only one engine, which is provided by an engine uh, builder in the UK called Gibson. And uh, Motul is their engine of choice for developing and running the engines. So it started as a natural choice in terms of uh, approaching Motul for uh, product supply as, a, as an official supplier to the team. 
but as I as um, you know, as I've discussed with the Motul guys um, over the last few years, it, we quickly found that it was uh, we could establish a real racer to racer relationship, um, and Motul's the uh, range of available products for use uh, in the race team's operations, not just engine oil, but um, gear oil and cleaning products, including brake clean and uh, um, other greases and lubricants, uh, meant at, most of which are uh, their high-end consumer products, um, meant that we could get everything we need needed from a single um, supplier. And then beyond that, we found a, a good basis for working together on the marketing communication side when we started to run at Le Mans and do races like the Rolex 24 at Daytona. Um, and the relationship uh, grew from there to the point where um, now we're starting to get involved uh, with the uh, rollout of uh, a range of car care products, which is um, was scheduled for this year, but um, it delayed till next year. Um, but the the working relationship started from uh, adopting what was the uh, designated oil for our engine, and just learning more about the company and getting to know the people and seeing how uh, responsive uh, they were to our needs and how comprehensive the product range was. Thank you. Yeah, the um, Gibson Technologies, the, the motor supplier, uh, you know, sometimes I'm not aware of everything going on in the world, and I, I look them up, and what a fantastic company Gibson is. Yes, yes, and, they are. Yeah. Go, go ahead, uh, Joy, tell about the history of Gibson. Yeah, I mean, they've been involved in racing for some time now, I mean, without getting too much into details, but like anything happens is that when we find uh, engine builders or working with manufacturers, you know, We've had this question asked many times before, is this the same product that you sell, you know, out in, 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 the, in the parts or the racing shops? Absolutely, yes. I mean, we do make experiment oils, and I think I was touching base on that the last time that we were talking about experiment oils, that depending on who we're working with. But yes, I mean, Gibson has that reputation. So they look for companies like ours that make sure that their engines could withstand what they have to go through, like a 24-hour race, you know, to make sure that they have a product that could withstand that. And of course, there's testing in between that. It's not like here, just try the product. We have uh, real high skilled um, chemists that work with them hand in hand. And this is how we develop relationships with not just manufacturers, but engine builders too. So yeah, that company is, is, is like you can see how many engines they were running at the 24 hour race. Yeah. Can, you, can you say some of the um, technical characteristics that Gibson are looking for the oil when they're developing the engines because I've been exposed to some of the things they're looking for and it's pretty interesting. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when they look for a product like ours, they want to look at the longevity of that engine, how well it's going to work under all those stress points that I was talking about over a 24 hour period or any type of longevity racing. And they look for the wear, they look at horsepower, they look how well the oil can manage between different stages of racing uh, because they, they, they have the telemetry. They look at that engine. They look at how it's breathing, how it's working, just like a heart does. But uh, that's what they look for, the stability and oil pressure and the fume resistance. After they take the engine apart, they look for the components that supposedly sometimes wear in different uh, situations where we've had this testimonial back many times that 
the 300V has done its job. You know, we saw less wear of this and that. So yeah, there's a lot of things that they look for, but the number one thing is that when they put the oil to the test, the major things that they, they, they focus on is to make sure that oil can take that type of beating, you know? And we get that question asked with the 300V. Well, you know, there's no API or any ACA, or it's not uh, bound to any type of manufacturer as far as an approval. No, this is a true racing oil and it's formulated that way. And that's what we give Gibson, a true racing oil, not a service oil uh, that, you know, that we have that has different approvals and uh, has regulations from the ACEA or API and uh, standards like that. No, this is a true racing oil that has been proven in many, many types of engines and many tracks around the world. I love the phrase experimental oil mm -hmm. and it, it kind of puts uh, the engine oil up there in the level of all the other parts in the race engine mm -hmm. as something that needs to be reconsidered and reviewed constantly for mm -hmm. opportunities to improve. So that's very cool. Now there was a motel, a motul racing lab at Le Mans. Is that correct? Yes. And yes. What, what, what does that accomplish? Uh, Mr. Alec, would you like well, to give him a little breakdown on that? Well, mainly uh, the, the lab is a way for us to help our customers to as well investigate uh, the health of the engine. So knowing that, you know, having an or a deteriorating engine, eventually it will uh, incline for, for uh, the competition to be a little bit less pushing towards the winning or you can lose a race because of the engine. So the lab is mainly a way for us to help our customers and as well make sure of the health of the engine and sometimes even transmissions. So that is a peace of mind that a lot of engineers uh, like to have on the racetrack. And that's why we like to, to offer that to, to our customers. And as well in Petit Le Mans, so we, we are designing a way to, to have the lab as well in so we can do tests not only for our customers, but uh, all the race teams and as well if we have enough time to, to get a, a little bit of consumers so we can show the properties and why to do oil analysis. Oil analysis are like blood tests. You check your blood and you see what is negative about it <clears throat> and you can proactively fix the problem before you have a catastrophic failure. So when you get an oil sample, the, the analysis of the metals and the quantity of metals that are present in the sample can give you an early warning of the failure of or weakening of specific components, which is why it's such a valuable tool. Right. So you, you can literally save your engine from a, a blow up, a catastrophic, catastrophic failure, like Alex said, by using this analysis to monitor what's happening um, in the engine. It's a fantastic tool for race teams. And it's a, it's an approach that um, was first introduced in Formula One about uh, 25 years ago, yes. um, which Motul is now bringing to these other forms of racing. And in, in a lot of ways, it's more, even more appropriate and necessary in the endurance races that we participate in than it is in the sprint races you have in Formula One. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, like you said, an endurance race, so many variables can happen and keeping a report card on that engine brings a lot of information, not just to the technicians that are working on those engines, but also to the oil company like us to have a lot of that research and development, how our product worked over a 24 hour period with all those different scenarios, which is 
you know, live testing. It's real time testing. And that's what's important because you can do a lot of testing in dinos and stuff to get uh, certain points. But when it comes to the real racing, you can never duplicate that. I'm sorry, but I'm a big believer that real time is where you get most of your information. And I'm right. sure you guys could agree with me on that. Oh uh, yeah, with the weather changes, temperature changes, uh, the oil suffers a lot and the engine as well. So there's always at different races, it could be in the same place, uh, but uh, different temperatures. So you will have different readouts from uh, the oil analysis. So, the, you know, constantly monitoring those uh, parameters, it'll give you a good mapping and it will give you uh, give the the engineers or the the chemist uh, the valuable information for them to start formulating uh, the oils that we have nowadays. Yes, and some of that research and development, yeah, it does make it to our service products because I get questions like that asked at the tracks when we're when we have a booth there and somebody comes up to goes, well, come on, guys, tell me, is your how much difference is a racing oil? and a service oil, it's a big difference. It's a big difference. And I sometimes break it down because I have time to talk to the consumer and sometimes they go away, okay, I, I didn't know that. I thought oil was just oil, how we wish, right? But it's not that, it's, it's more complicated than just oil being oil. You know? Well, and even though our 8100 sometimes is used by certain manufacturers on the, or race teams, correct? Uh, because they have the, the approvals from the manufacturers. So of course we cannot state which ones there are, but uh, they are using as well 8100 that are supposed to be service products uh, in their race cars. But that's goes to show you that the level of a performance product uh, for street applications at what level to, they just don't meet the standards, but they always try to go above those standards. And for, I'm talking for a product that you service your car for everyday driving. So. Yeah, uh, the high-end products, that's what we always focus on. And that's why we racing has been so important for us uh, since we've been involved because that's where we get a lot of our research and development. And that makes it over to, uh, to our service oils. The, the pressure of competition in racing is what makes this a really fun industry because it's, it's really hard to stay current, to stay ahead of your competitors. But that's what it's all about. And if you can stay ahead, then you can bring all that right down to uh, the, the bottom level of uh, consumers. And uh, it's, it's interesting to view uh, engine oil as something that it, it could be obsoleted as well. So in other words, if you're using the same oil, engine oil that you used 10 years ago, that's like using a race part from 10 years ago and, and it, it may very well be obsolete. Is that fair to say? Yes, yeah, it is very true. Yeah, well, no, without getting too much into mm -hmm. racing politics, um, LMP2 mm -hmm. being a step below the top class in both IMSA and FIA competition, um, we are occasionally subject to rules adjustments that um, affect the allowed, uh, the permitted power output of the engine. And when that happens, it's back to the dyno for Gibson. Um, and uh, I suppose, Joey and Alec, that sometimes that can lead to some reformulation of the oil as well. Well, definitely. Uh, yeah. the, and uh, nowadays with the new technology coming with after treatment systems, even race cars will start applying after treatment systems. So it, it's not like uh, you can have a, any type of oil with high zincs or saps. So, so you'll be able to use and utilize on the race car too. So we have to eventually evolve 
with the nature of races and uh, the laws and the regulations so we can fit to the profile. So, uh, and that's uh, coming soon uh, with, uh, with uh, racing oils specifically for after treatment systems. Yeah, and that's where it gets a little complicated because like John, you were mentioning things do change. Things do change and we have to apply and adjust accordingly to changes, especially with service products. And the reason I say service products because they are service products when you do your oil changes and stuff like that. But there's so many changes that happen, like uh, Alex was mentioning, the emission systems are now more complicated. You know, you had uh, diesels with particular filters. Now gas petrol cars are going the same way. So we always have to make sure that our products have to meet those standards. So you see where the complication sometimes comes in. You have to, you may, it may just change in a few years again. And there we go again, we're changing. Who would, who would believe now that, you know, when you see a Toyota that viscosities are 0.16 or 0.8, you know, you're like, man, that's water. What are you guys pouring in my, but remember, even if those viscosities are very, very light to give you better mileage, don't think that the racing teams are not looking at that too, where they want less dragging the engine, but hey, come up with a product that's lighter in viscosity, but give me the same protection. You're scratching your head, you're going, yeah, okay, back to the drawing table. But that's what happens. That's the way it is. That's the way it is in any type of component in a race car. I think, David, you can vouch for that, that it changes so much. You look at these Formula One wings and all the aerodynamics that you see, and they're always changing. And you're just like, going, hey, that wasn't on there last year. Now what do they come up with? Same thing what happens with lubricants. It's uh, an ongoing thing. Okay, and then I also want to mention again uh, questions. We haven't gotten any questions. Just go down to the chat uh, button at the bottom of the Zoom screen. Press that, it opens up, type in your question, and, and we'll get it out here to our speakers. Uh, if if uh, we have a race team out there, a race engine builder, and, and we want to kind of tell them, here are things to look for if, if you should really reconsider what oil you're using. Like, here are things you should be asking yourself of your engine, of your engine oil. What should they, they be looking at to, to trigger that thought that I, I may need to make a change? Analysis, uh, oil analysis are the is the first step. Yeah. Uh, as I said before, is like a blood test. So, so you get to see the health of the engine according to the fluid that you're using. Then, of course, dyno time because certain uh, uh, fluids like 300V will gain you uh, a superior lubricity so you can gain horsepower at the same time. So mainly it's oil analysis and dyno time uh, that I'll focus on that first. And, and then as they, they look at what they're doing and they feel like they may need to make a change, can they just call you up and say, I've experienced this, can you help me? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I think that uh, that's what we're there for. I think, you know, I know this because when I was uh, with the racing team back then, you know, they used to use stuff right off the shelf. They would go into an auto parts, you know, I'm not going to mention the products, but they would buy a product and they say, hey, you know, my temperatures or when they look at the oil, they would just see the breakdown of the oil. And they say, oh, this is, I hate to use this word, but they say, this is crappy stuff. And I say, no, 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 it's not crappy stuff. What are you using? What product are you using for the right application? That's the whole key. Okay, yeah. not because you bought that product off the shelf means it's a bad product. 
So you might have to get a more specific product. And that's what I was telling the team when I first started, you know, there's stuff, racing product, like there's racing brake fluid, like there's gearbox oil that's made and designed for that type of abuse and that type of endurance and that type of performance. Then they started getting the picture go. So oil is not just oil, you know? So they look like uh, Alex said, oil analysis are very important. So today, the good thing about today that with so much information out there, making it easier to send samples to these, uh, uh, these laboratories, you have it there in your hands where before it was kind of like, well, where I sent this or how do they get, how do I get an oil analysis? Now you can easily find a place to have an oil, uh, your oil analysis done. And from there you can then make a choice where maybe this is not the correct product for what the type of performance I do. So, so Joey, the, the, um, uh, the, the Gibson is a racing engine, although mm -hmm. going way, way back, it has some roots in a, in a road car block, mm -hmm. but, I know that, that you guys work with a couple of uh, OEMs mm -hmm. uh, on race-tuned versions of road car engines. Mm -hmm. um, so what are the differences between your approach to providing the, the engine lubricant for uh, a pure race uh, engine versus one of these uh, road-based uh, competition engines? Well, again, when it's more like a, let's take uh, the Subaru, for instance, that we work closely or Nismo, there's certain products that they have. We make a racing product for them, for their racing team. And they may have a car that came out like the, um, let's take some of the Subaru service products that we make in the Asia Pacific market, where they still have to be uh, looked at as a service product, not different from the product that we would make a Nismo racing product, a lot different. One has those regulations, like I talked about before, that we have to meet and we have to apply by it. And again, I like to always use this that when you see that, they say, okay, here's a standard that you have to meet. If you meet the standard, you're okay. But Motu never just hits the standard. It always goes above the standard. And if they need a racing product, then we work closely with our chemists and their engineers to develop a product that's just for them those engines because they're doing research and development they're looking for something that works for them so there is a big gap maybe not as big as people think but there is a gap between a service product and a racing oil so yeah they'll dictate to us what they're looking for we put our chemists together to come up with that solution either yes. either or either or and i have a couple of questions from the audience uh, juan romero uh, is there a specific racing oil for turbo engines uh, to be honest, 300V was designed for turbo and natural aspirated cars, so mm -hmm. it will work either or. As mm -hmm. uh, emphasizing is a racing oil not to be used for, for going A to B in the street and driving uh, like uh, you don't mean it. Uh, so uh, it is the type of fluid 300V as it is per se racing. So you have to pick up the temperature and use it. It's not like, it's just like buying a Ferrari and driving 20 miles an hour or a GT3 and driving to a 20 miles an hour. The car was not designed to do that. It will have certain downsides and downfalls because of that. So each lubricant that we designed was, was catering to the specifics like uh, Joey said. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question because we get that question asked too, you know, uh, do you have a turbo oil? I've had that question asked many times. Of course, now with turbos becoming a big player again in, in everyday cars, 
yes, we still have to make a product, especially the 300V that can take those kind of temperatures, especially in, on a turbo. So yes, we make product that's very specific that has even a higher standard to meet those applications that are out there in the racetrack. But just let's not forget the turbos that come on your everyday car now. Now they're the popular. We gotta make a product too that can meet the demand of those driving habits or somebody that buys a car and modifies their turbo or modifies their engine. Again, yes, basically all the products that we have when you read our technical data sheet, it will say normally aspirated and turbos, direct injection and so on and so on. So yeah, they're designed, they're designed with that in mind. Absolutely. Good question. Very good. Another question uh, coming from dirt track racing and building engines as well as mud bog trucks. Do you guys carry anything that is best used for these types of racing blocks here in the USA? Anything that he could tell people in his area to consider uh, using your product? So, so kind of uh, dirt track racing and, and uh, the mud bog trucks? Well, you know, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, well, it's uh, depending on, like I said, in the application. So senses racing and uh, high RPMs and uh, high temperatures and high abuse of the engine, yeah, 300V will be per perfect uh, to do that. So, uh, so always depends on the application. It doesn't matter if it is dirt road, if it doesn't matter if it is racetrack or street driving, is uh, what matters how you gonna drive, the driving habits, styles, uh, and the demand that those styles will uh, request out of the engine. So mainly that, that is what I would focus mainly on it. Yeah, especially with dirt, uh, you know, dirt tracks and everything. Just remember, you're breathing everybody's dirt. They're racing very close. They're going sideways, they ain't straightaways. So just imagine, it's funny you said that because I used to get involved with a lot of dirt track guys. And they said, you know, when we use 300V or even your 6100 product, we can see we can go because they're dry sumps, you know. Some of those are up to 14 to 15 uh, uh, quarts of oil. That's a lot of oil. You know, so of course they're probably on a tight budget. So they want a product that they can see that can first protect the engine. Okay. Take the abuse, but not change it as often. And that was a testimony I was getting back with the 300 V and even the 6,100 said, Hey, after I should change it after maybe every two races, but now I change it every three races. I've done some oil analysis and boy, your product is still together after that abuse that I've done, you know? And I said, yeah, that's again, that's oil that can take that type of beating and not to put down anybody's product. No, but I know if you tell me you need something very specific for the type of racing you do, I will, I will show it to you. Here you go. And that's from our brake fluid, our gear oils, and of course our motor oils. I, I love these answers because it, it brings, it elevates that engine oil up to all the other racing parts mm -hmm. and you, you just have to be current. You have to be current. <laughs> Absolutely. Current as of this year. Uh, here's another question. Looking at bearing clearance uh, to viscosity to use in, say, a 360 or 410 sprint car dry sump system, then compared to a wet sump, sump system, what, what changes should be, should be made? Well, depending on the clearance, I mean, uh, I always start with the OEM manufacturer recommendations as far as viscosity with the clearance. If you start playing with the clearance and opening up, of course, the viscosity has to be a it had to be played along with it, but so next to an oil analysis, because sometimes depending like 300V, you, because of the strength of the oil, you don't have to up gain or up the viscosity in certain cases. That will gain a little bit of horsepower because you don't have that heavy 
viscosity running inside of the, in the engines. Yeah, tolerances are very important. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, we get, again, a lot of those kind of questions, especially with engines now. They're more modern engines that have real tight, tight tolerances. You have to be very careful when you're playing with, uh, with, with viscosities because if you go to something that's very viscous, it can cause those issues of more drag and actually losing horsepower. And if your engine has to work a lot that much harder, well, those temperatures are going to start rising up. So it's funny that now, you know, uh, when I started at Motus over 15 years ago, I remember 2050, 1550 viscosities were very, very popular. And as you saw, engines becoming more, you know, more modernized components, lighter components and whatnot, viscosity started dropping. But take that in mind that, yeah, tolerances are very important to know. I mean, it can be, it, it could be a big difference when it comes out to the racetrack, when you have something that's too viscous, because they say, well, I got to go and race tw 12 hours. I need something that at the end of the race, I would still have, you know, a film there. Well, yeah, but you got to be careful on, again, engine builders, I'm not going to teach them that. They know that. They know what tolerances they can play with and what viscosities match that. But for the guy that's more just starting off, call us and we will try, we will even help you with that too. Definitely. Thank you. I, I love the idea of just calling you and getting the, the question answered. That seems pretty easy. Uh, what are your thoughts on using oil additives to help with heat buildup, wear protection, uh, and oil longevity stability. That's another question from Ryan. All right, there you go, Alex. <laughs> well, that, that depends on what you want to accomplish with that. If you have a brand new car and still under warranty, uh, and you have to uh, cope up with the, the uh, OEM approvals, I would not suggest any additives because we'll change the additive package and you will lose your warranty. If you have an older vehicle, and you want to use a semi-synthetic blend or something like that, and you want to boost it up uh, the, the, the oil, yeah, maybe you can use a little bit of additives. But once you have uh, already a set formulation and design for the application in hand, uh, I usually recommend not to play and not to add anything because the chemist had been designed for a very long time, uh, certain formulations, bringing from sometimes racetracks or manufacturer specifications so we can put this formulation together. So once again, it goes depending on the application. And you know what, it's so funny because now with additives being so, we sell additives, you know, but I always like to call our additives more of a service type of cleaning. You know, you have engine flushes, which really don't stay in the engine, right? Exactly. You have things like that, that we have in our, in our, our broad line of products that we have, but when you make a product, and this is what I was taught early when I started Mo2, they're very balanced already. They've been tested and tested, you know, especially with these crazy long drain intervals that you get from the manufacturers. I remember when I first started, Porsche had 15,000 miles. And I used to talk to my neighbors that had these cars. I go, did you change your oil every 15,000 miles? And they look at me and go, you crazy? <laughs> 15,000 miles ago? No, are you kidding? I changed mine every... Uh, six to seven. And you know, the norm is that when you go to all of these smaller shops, independent shops, that's the norm between six to 7,000 miles, you know? So again, but our products do have to meet that demand just to let you know. So we try to stay away, especially if the engine is new, you don't have a lot of miles on it. We try to stay away. Some of these additives sometimes are to fix a problem, a quick bandaid. Just remember that too. So we got to be careful because sometimes they'll say, well, yeah, you know, like, especially some of the classic cars, it was never told or it was never announced on, on the news globally 
guess what? ZZDP levels are dropping. For you guys that have classic cars, watch it with your cams and blah, blah, blah. That was never mentioned. It was all because somebody went to the auto parts, put the same product that he was buying at 5.30, and then he started seeing his cam starting to wear out or components that needed that anti-wear additive. What happened here? What happened here? Well, again, not that it was bad product, but it had to meet certain standards for the new age of rules that are out there. Yeah, and uh, just to be clear, the additive that we, we were talking about is the, the additives that add anti-wear additives and the extreme pressure additives. So it's not something that will clean the engine that they still so call themselves additives. Uh, so completely different one from the other one. Yeah, and if you need a product, like again, we have in our line of products, we have the right product if you're looking for that. If you're looking for a product to say, hey, I have a classic car, I got a classic product that has those components a lot more than a product that has to meet a certain standard for today's engines. You want a racing product? I have a racing product, you know, that meets those types of performance levels. That's what good thing about Mo2, we, we, we cover it all. That's for sure. I've looked at the product line and it just stretches from one part of the race car to the, the back of the race cars. Correct. Fantastic. Uh, here's a question from uh, Jason. What signs in the oil test results can help you understand if you can benefit from a lower weight oil, for instance, or vice versa? Well, the first, uh, of course, the wear count of the metal inside mm -hmm. of the engine. So uh, uh, looking for fer ferrous metals or iron, you get zinc, uh, you it, actually, you get tin, you get copper, copper uh, mm -hmm. for bearings. Uh, so, uh, you know, depending on the counts that you have on the wear metal counts, then you can see that, yes, downgrading viscosity, it's wearing a little bit faster my internals. So yes, let me up the viscosity, make an analysis once again, and see if there's uh, just a, or a stabilization of the, the readings, or of course, a less count, particle count. Uh, so that's why we usually uh, pay attention to it. So just the health of the engine. Yeah, and for those that do oil analysis, you know, today's technology that you have with these companies that do these, uh, these labs that do the analysis, there's so much information. Don't trust that you... anyone. <laughs> there's so much information you can get so you can know how to read it. That's the most important thing, how to read an oil analysis. Because someone just look for one number. Oh, man, it's bad. It's already, wow, did you look at the other stuff? All that stuff indicates something. So what I try to tell the consumer and I try to explain to them, if you're going to start doing oil analysis, kind of read up on it or call me and I'll try to help you to see, hey, this is what's going on. But all that information is out there now. All that information is easy to know why there's the calcium, the copper, the tinware, and so on. You know, the, the first liner on your bearings, the babbit that starts wearing out, then it starts getting to the copper. All that stuff is out there that makes it a lot easier for you to understand. You don't have to be a rocket scientist no more. You know, and you understand. That's why when I watch Formula One, I like to watch all the practicing and everything that's going on and hearing what's going on because you get a lot of detail that you won't actually hear on race day. You hear the excitement on race day, but all the stuff that happens behind that, you hear it in qualifying, you hear it in practice, why they're doing this and why they're doing that. I mean, that's a lot of good information out there that sometimes that comes back to me and gets stuck in my brain where, hey, okay, I get that and I get that. I mean, it's all live and learn, right? Yes. Yeah, very good, very good. Okay, here's a question from Dave. What would you recommend a minimum oil temp to burn off contaminants and moisture 
for engines with oil coolers with thermostats? That's a good one. Uh, so I usually recommend to uh, get the moisture out of the system, at least to drive for 30 minutes to an hour, the car. Because uh, if you just park the car, assuming that that's what he's asking for, he parks the car in the garage and he leaves it there and eventually moisture will get mixed with the oil. And uh, if you just leave it there, the moisture will be on the top layer of the oil usually and uh, it will be prompt to corrosion and other side effects. Uh, so the best way to do it, what I recommend for everybody to to use their oil once a week. If it is just a collectible car, once a week, uh, just crank it, leave it idling for 30 minutes. That should take care of uh, getting that the moisture out of the system. My recommendation always to drive the cars because uh, even idling, you cannot duplicate what you have on the road conditions. Even though you have cooling, proper cooling, uh, uh, driving the car, but uh, idling, there's certain downsizes or down uh, or negative aspects of just leaving the car idling for uh, 30 minutes and doing that every, every week for a year charge. So uh, it's um, usually the fluid gets polluted in this 30 minutes because the seals on the rings are not properly sealing uh, and as well, you know, the temperature has to be picked up even further than, than, uh, than the majority of the times I don't need the car. Yeah, and that's something that, you know, it's funny you say that because that's one thing that causes sludge. You know, when you don't burn up that first layer of moisture that sits on top of the oil, and where does that moisture come from? Depending on where you live, it comes through your tailpipe, it makes it in. And when you have the car sitting there, and like he says, it's not just good just to crank it and just say, okay, I started for 15 minutes going back in the garage. No, take it for a drive, you know, burn it off. Let that, let that temperature start rising up in the 220 part. You know, some cars get, you know, that's what they run normally. But what I'm saying, once you get all that contamination, that moisture burned off, you're fine. But 15 minutes, 10 minutes, it does a worse job because now you've created condensation. You created more condensation that's going to lay on top of that layer that was already there and it causes more issues and that's what starts creating sludge that's one part of the uh, of the recipe that creates sludge so yeah you want to burn it off take it for a drive yeah, another question and um somebody had kind of what they thought was a strange experience with motul ester based engine oil and so they said they took it to a laboratory and the results came back and stated that there were no esters at all in the oil. Yeah. So can you explain what happened there? Is that a mistake or? <laughs> well, let, let's put it this way. Uh, yeah, they were using Blackstone. It's not my favorite. Let's put it this way. Uh, I like to choose uh, places that are biased uh, of a type of oil. And uh, to be honest, every single oil out there in the world will have a little bit of uh, a little bit of mineral, a little bit of uh, group threes, group fours, sometimes or group fives. You're never going to see a pure group five oil because, in the end of the day, it is a chemical, it's a chemistry. So it, there's a bunch of chemicals put together to make this formulation. Certain certain aspects of it uh, come this way, and. Uh, Yes, it does have, uh, let's put it this way, 99% of esters on 300V, and, uh, but there's 1% uh, of mineral content. 
And uh, to be honest, uh, companies like Blackstone, a few other companies that just invested 200,000 or 250,000 to get their equipment in and then eventually start doing it, that's how they started. Uh, you know, there's some skeptical beliefs in that and sometimes not a right uh, guidance of how to analyze and how to read properly certain formulations. Yeah, and that note, Alex, I think, uh, I'm gonna throw this in real fast. When somebody says, hey, I didn't find Esther, so I didn't find that group. Okay, so then show me or call the company and say, how did you come up with that? Because to find out different analysis in oil, okay, you have to go even further. Electric analysis, um, all different types of analysis to find if they have esters or percentages of certain types of groups mixed in that formulation. But if you get just a regular analysis, it ain't gonna tell you anything about group, group ones, which are minerals, uh, group twos and group threes, group threes, which are synthetics or semi-synthetics, group fours, which are what they call 100% synthetic, or your group fives, which are esters. It's not gonna tell you that. You would have to pay a lot more money to break down that formula to get every ingredient out of that cookie. You see what yeah. I'm saying? And it goes further than that because I've had this question, you know, I send this analysis in, uh, I don't see no esters, I don't see this, or I don't see these groups. I go, well, you're not gonna get it. You're gonna have to pay a lot more money for it to break it down and to really get down to the core. So depending on what type of analysis that he got, if it was just a standard analysis, believe me, there's no, you, you won't find it in there. Yeah. It has to go further than that. $25 is not going to cover for a good analysis. You know, Let's and, put it and, this way. And again, so that, that'd be great if, if, he can, if he could contact us. We could explain that to him more than it takes more of that. But yeah, 300V by far, it's the extra core. It's, 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 that's the foundation of that product. Okay, so uh, when you're looking at oil analysis, you want to be selective at, at who, with who you work with, is what we're saying. Yes. yes. Okay, and then uh, the, the race engine lubricant is based on ester core technology. Mm -hmm. and, and why don't we just kind of walk through that so we know what that means exactly. So uh, ester core technology, it's a proprietary uh, formulation from Motul that involves multiple different group five oils put together to make this base oil before putting additives before actually uh, doing the final formulation. So uh, that's pretty much as far as we can, of course, give to the public. There is a lot of group five mix put together to create this base oil and uh, which is the, the biggest strength on, uh, on the 300V. Yeah, yeah. So, so like you said, you know, it's it's several synthetics and esters are put together to give that ester core to give it that level of performance. We came out with our own proprietary formulation that we're not even told certain things of it because it's very top secret. But again, anybody Shell or Mobile One, I'm sure they can get it and dissect it. I'm sure they can. But that formulation of esters, the advantages that esters have, because esters have been around for a very long time, aviation uses it because of the fluctuation of temperatures on the tarmac, very hot. Sometimes that plane gets stuck there for 30 minutes delayed and the engines are on and then it goes up minus 36. So just imagine that fluctuation in that, in that oil. So our esters come from different uh, sources, you know, mostly some of the vegetables that we used to use before, because we've changed the formula, we've upgraded that formula, but esters are very strong, very difficult to share. And the reason I say this, because I've had this question asked, when you say share, Joey, 
or maybe the technical guy, he understands it. But I said, it's easy. Get a piece of paper, rip it in half, very weak shear. Try to get a credit card and try to rip that in half. Very strong shear. You can't rip it. It's the same thing that happens with that oil film. Very difficult to rip. So asters have the advantages that they protect very well under hot, hot conditions when those engines are running high in temperature, okay? And also, it adds to even some of the horsepower where they've seen horsepower gain. So esters have a lot of advantages. Very expensive, yes, it's more expensive than a group two or a group three or even a group four. So yes, it, there's advantages that we saw with these esters and we're always again evolving in that formulation to make it even better. And believe me, I've had nightmares when they told me one day, hey, we're gonna change from our double ester to an ester core. Why, it's not broken, it works awesome. But again, I have to leave it in their hands and I see why, where our performance level makes it to the next level of that technology. And to complement uh, what Joey just said, it's uh, intimately about uh, having a group five is the film strength. Film strength is actually what separate metal to metal. Uh, and as well, once you have, of course, uh, the bro breaking of this film, eventually you have to lay to the ZZDPs and SAPs so they don't, the metal to metal, they don't get uh, touch or they don't touch each other. So film strength is the most important part of an oil formulation that is the least watched and is the least sought after from everybody in the street or is sometimes even the, the motorsports side. They don't know how, how it works. So higher the grade, and when you say group one to five, just think the five will be five times stronger than the group one. Uh, so it's just give that more, that robust coverage. That's why sometimes you don't have to play with viscosity going with the 300V, just because of that. The film strength is so tough that is very rare to wear out. And on the racetracks, that's why we have the lab and we get that information. We get to see sometimes the wear count of ZZDP or SAPs. So you don't get to see any wear out of the ZZDP counts because the, the viscosity uh, or the film strength was so strong that didn't break viscosity and didn't need to use the ZZDPs. So is the reduction or the control of frictional losses in the engine coming from the film strength or the viscosity or both? Well, the, the additive package helps a lot on the horsepower and gain. So it's more towards the, the, the horsepower gain is a little bit more towards the additive package. Uh, but the strength is the base oil. Yeah, and anytime you start seeing that the oil is starting to degrade, over a period of 24 hours. I mean, too bad we can't show you this graph because they've done these tests where you can see that maintaining that viscosity, retaining, the, retaining that viscosity, the retention of it, shows you that that engine loses very little horsepower. Everything has a peak, right? Because yeah, that product is gonna start getting a little depleted, especially in a 24 hour race. And then you can see how it peaks and then it peaks down, but it loses very little over a 24 hour period, okay? Of, of engine performance. That means that oil is doing its job because when they start seeing that oil pressure drop because the viscosity is getting broken down, breaking, breaking, that's when they do the sign of the cross and saying, we're going to have an issue here, you know? <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've seen that actually. There are tracks, I've, I've witnessed that too. But when the 300V, we've seen that consistent overall, you know, it moves, but very little. It's, it, it retains that viscosity and, and that's very important. And that's what they look for too. 
to make sure that it can take that type of abuse over a long period of time. My understanding is that 300V product was introduced in 1971, and I think it was the first fully synthetic oil on the worldwide market. 100% mm -hmm. synthetic, yes. Yeah, 100%, yes. That, that, that's, that's something uh, already, already uh, basting ourselves in the group fives yes. and esters. Yeah. We're so known it, for that. That's our, that's our, that's our MO, you know, we were known for the esters. People go, oh, you're the ester company. Yeah. Now, well, let me explain. It's not just, it sounds funny when they say you're the ester company, but no. Yeah, we, we, we work with that technology and we're always, again, improving on it and improving on it. Absolutely. Okay, and, and then uh, Motula is a broad product line. And so we have professional race engine builders, professional race teams listing right now. Is there something new in, in the product line for racing applications that everybody should know about? Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the, the line is pretty, go ahead, Alex, go ahead. I'm sorry, buddy. Uh, there's uh, in the pipeline uh, some uh, for not the professionals, uh, but as semi-professionals, uh, DCTFs, so dual clutch technology fluids coming up for racing applications. Uh, there's uh, a thought out in the future eventually to to formulate 300V with the lower SAPs for after treatment systems that it is on the pipeline. Yeah, so yeah, we, we have a line that covers everything from, like I said, the motor oils. One thing about the line, you know, you have our racing products, which is the 300V, our gear 300, our brake fluids. Let's not forget about brakes, that's very important. So we have brake fluids with a high boiling point that are just designed for competition. And of course we have our service products too, but our racing line is very exclusive because we do have other components that you need uh, that are performance oriented and formulated for competition at its highest level. Okay, and, and David, I wanna ask you a question about going racing in, in this time of pandemic. I, I wanna say, first of all, uh, thank you for going out there and still rolling the cars, still competing, still racing. It was essentially a dangerous time, um, but if you weren't out there racing, there's no racing industry. So th thank you for keeping it up. What's it like out there, David, when you go racing? Well, I, I have to be honest, my, my wife is an MD, so there's a rather clear household policy on no races for me until there's a vaccine, so which, which I'm quite happy to, uh, to accept. Um, but I, I did make it to um, uh, Daytona, uh, where we won the LMP2 class, and we had quite a few of the Motul guys there, which, was, um, which made it even more fun. Um, but the, uh, our team principal, um, uh, Elton Julian, uh, also one of the founders of the team, uh, has done an amazing job this year to keep the team together. We, we had a, a quite a complicated plan um, going into the season before the pandemic with lots of moving parts to essentially keep one crew fully employed for the season where we had uh, our main series in Europe, the European Le Mans series with just six events, our series in the US, which was the LMP2 class of the WeatherTech Sports Car Championship, which was also six events, not including the Rolex 24, and the Indy 500. So between those three programs, we had enough events to keep a crew fully employed. And you can imagine the kind of havoc um, that was wreaked on that plan by the pandemic. So um, Elton 
and our wonderful dedicated uh, crew um, really pulled together, stayed together. I think we lost one person um, uh, in the course of the last few months uh, and um, uh, we're carrying on as best we can and uh, knock on wood, um, nobody uh, on that crew has um, uh, caught the virus and uh, we have, uh, I mean, with, with Le Mans last weekend, we're very much over the hump as far as the schedule is concerned. Uh, the only definite race we have left is uh, Sebring in November. Uh, unfortunately, we can't get the, we sent our US car to Europe to run Le Mans. Um, we can't get it shipped back in time to run Petit, unfortunately. Um, and uh, there's a, we're looking at the possibility of doing the IndyCar finale, at, uh, the rescheduled IndyCar finale at St. Pete, but um, that's all we have on the cards for the rest of the season. So it's, it's been very tough, but we've been very uh, flexible and fast moving and resourceful and creative as you would expect of any race team. Yes, and uh, it's remarkable that you've been able to do all that and accomplish all that without anybody in the race team coming down with coronavirus. So you, you, you must be taking great care as part of the process. Um, now, um, we're going to wrap it up. So I just want to ask a big question. When you think of this opportunity to kind of talk to the racing industry about Motul, um, is there anything we haven't talked about that uh, you want to talk about? And Alec, is there anything we missed? Well, uh, there's a lot to, to be discussed that we can go for hours here. So uh, my suggestion is contact us, uh, go call our main office, get our contact information, uh, contact us straight so we can have one-to-one uh, -one conversations. So uh, sometimes it gets further down and sometimes it takes time because uh, we recommend something, they do analysis and they go for it, they bring it up to us, we get to read out and it's a process. So that's my, my only suggestions. Contact us, we're always available. Very good. Joey, anything you want to mention before we wrap this up? Yeah, I think Alex pretty much said it all. I think I just want to thank everybody and uh, hopefully you guys can stay safe. And like he said that at any time you have a doubt about our product in any shape or form, give us a call. That's what we're there for. And we'll try to help you to give you the correct answer because that's what we love to do. So yeah, we're there. You can get that information very easy. Just go into our website or call the office and they'll give us, uh, they'll give you the information from me and Alex. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I, I just want to say um, good luck to everyone out there for the rest of the season and um, uh, good luck to all of us for a, a less disrupted or undisrupted racing season next year. Absolutely. Thank yeah, you, David. One of the reasons why we want to do online race industry week is because uh, you know, Paul Fanner looks at it as a chance to really reboot the racing industry. And we kind of dragged our asses through this year, but <laughs> we want to get to 2021 and, and feel like we're all racing again. So we just got to go through a moment and kind of recharge ourselves up. And one of the reasons we want to do online race industry week is, is for that purpose. We just don't want to miss that opportunity. Yeah. Uh, Paul, Paul and racer are great partners for that. I, I've known Paul for 40 years. So yeah, Paul is uh, you talk to Paul and you always leave Paul thinking about 30 more things you should do in life. He really makes you think. Um, so we're going to have fun and this has been fun. And I really appreciate the, the, the dedication uh, to racing 
and to trying to go fast kind of on a weekly basis. And uh, all of us experience that, but it's really cool to have a big company like Motul in that ball game at that level where you're, you're competing more or less like a race team to, to be the best every week. So it was great having you here. We could talk for hours, but we try to wrap it up within an hour. So uh, thank you all very much. Thank you all for joining us. This has been fun and informative, and we'll keep doing it. All right. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thank you so Thanks much. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye.